You're listening to curated podcasts from the Beyond Infinity radio show, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Many years ago, it was recognised that our sun was actually a star, like all the other stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. That was a bit of a revelation for people at the time. Since then, we've been gradually learning more about our sun. And now, NASA's actually got a dedicated mission to study the sun and it's going to get really close and it's going to travel really fast and it needs special protection because it's going to have to endure temperatures much hotter than the oven in your house 1400 degrees celsius it's going to get in get close to i think within about five million kilometers five to ten million at closest approach to the sun our earth just to put it in perspective is about 150 million kilometers from the sun Mm -hmm. so this is close it's well within the orbit of mercury the innermost planet The spacecraft is going to study the solar wind. It's going to study why the the outer atmosphere of the sun is actually hotter than the surface of the sun, Mm. quite a lot more. Uh, The solar wind was discovered by, in fact, it's named after him, a guy called Parker. And in the 1950s, he was an astronomer. He proposed the uh, existence of the solar wind which is this kind of the extension of the atmosphere it's particles it's It's radiation material that's being fired out of the sun at enormous huge amounts of energy and enormous speeds involved and this goes right out throughout the whole solar system and we can see it in the aurora can't we yes exactly that's that's the interaction of uh, the upper atmosphere the earth the ionosphere with the solar wind and it produces those amazing aurora that we see the aurora borealis and the aurora australis so uh, if you get down to tasmania if you're in australia as we are you can go down to tasmania and and sometimes in winter you can see it even from down the peninsula really you've seen it oh look i've had friends that have had the the time-lapse cameras and they go right down the end of the peninsula and on might be one a rare night once a year and if you put it on that sort of low and slow time-lapse there is the hint of it on the horizon so it is possible yeah now one thing about this is the speed of it is pretty amazing like this is by far and away the fastest human-made object ever uh for example, just to put it in perspective, um, one of the fastest launches ever was the New Horizons spacecraft, which went out to the Pluto, Pluto yeah. and now heading out beyond in the Kuiper mm-hmm. Belt. Later this year, there's going to be a close approach. We'll be following it pretty closely uh, with another object out there. But uh, it was launched, and and you know, I think within ten hours it had passed the orbit of the moon. So it was a very, it was it, it was a lightweight spacecraft. This is New Horizons, and it was given a very very large rocket mm-hmm. to boost it as fast as possible mm-hmm. to get get out to the outer edge of the solar system, Kuiper Belt, uh, go past Pluto within 10 years. I think it took nine years to get out there. And on the way, it actually did some close flybys of Saturn and, and, and used gravity assist. Now, the Parker Solar Probe is in another league it is going to be travelling at maximum speed of 430,000 miles per hour or 690,000 kilometres per hour, which is really, really fast. And the way it achieves that speed, one, it has a very powerful booster to launch it, and it was launched back on August the 20th. It's done a trajectory correction, but it was it was launched upon a, a, a pretty powerful rocket and that has sent it uh, on its way. Apparently, the uh, the first trajectory correction was went perfectly, so mission scientists are particularly happy with the way that it's all worked out. If you want to have a look at the homepage of this mission, it's parkersolarprobe.jhuapl.edu. There you'll find updates about the mission, and once the data starts coming back, that's where it'll be. And is the speed assisted by the, the gravity of the sun as well? It's, it's you know, 
going towards this huge gravitational uh, you know point and mm. uh, you know not trying to get away from the sun and therefore not only are the boosters going to push it in that direction but the sun is going to suck it in as well yeah that's right so it's it's a combination of the uh, the gravity assist i think it's actually going to take about seven years before closest approach to the sun mm-hmm. in the mission when the most data is going to be returned on the way it does various it's elliptical know, orbit yeah, yeah gravity assists round uh, round venus actually so it goes round venus soon and then by the end of the year it does a swing by the sun and gradually over time that orbit gets refined and it gets down to the closest approach i think as i said in about seven years time on october the second it's doing a venus flyby and then the first perihelion which is the first close swing by of the sun is on november the 5th it refines the orbit over seven years to gradually shrink down to, to, as I said, the close approach of uh, 6.16 kilometres to the sun, well within the orbit of Mercury, and seven times closer than any spacecraft has ever come before. It has to have special protection. I believe it's got several centimetres of protection on both sides to restrain the outside temperature from frying Mm. the electronics and the innards and the cameras and instruments on board. Apparently it can keep the internal temperature, even though it might be 1400 Celsius outside, much hotter than your oven, the actual internal temperature will be maintained at a a balmy 30 degrees Celsius. So special insulation, thermal insulation is required. I think it uses carbon fibre technology. It uses a special kind of foam Mm -hmm. to insulate the spacecraft. It is going to tell us about the fundamental physics of the heliosphere, aurora and magnetosphere of Earth and other planets. It's going to help us improve satellite communications, power grid issues, pipeline erosion, radiation exposure on airline flights. I didn't know that was an issue. Mm. And even astronaut safety on board the International Space Station, for example, because when you have solar flares or coronal mass ejections, mm-hmm. these can actually interfere with communication satellites. They can uh, do all sorts of things. And, and well, uh, even, even people who are up in, you know, 40,000, 30, 30 to 40,000 feet in, an, in a commercial airliner yeah. can be exposed to Because uh, you're outside of that dense radiation. atmosphere down here. Yep. I wonder if, um, with, if there's one of these mass ejections or uh, that, that occurs whilst the probe is nearby, if that would actually then make it uh, obsolete, if it would actually wipe its data or it somehow um, you know, interact with it in a way that it's unrecoverable. I think they are relying on that insulation which I mentioned before and it's believed that that will protect it from the you know from these kind of experiences that mm. it might have along the way so I mean look, look they'll find out the hard way I guess yeah, yeah. but uh, they have put a lot of time and effort into developing this spacecraft to survive the environment of the sun and it's going to really tell us a lot about the sun's atmosphere this mission will provide insight on a critical link in the sun earth connection Data will be the key to understanding, perhaps even forecasting space weather. The sun's corona is unstable, producing the solar wind flares and coronal mass ejections. We need more information but can get close enough to the sun to study that in more detail. And millions of tons of highly magnetized material can erupt from the sun at speeds of several million miles per hour, fast enough to get from Washington to Los Angeles in seconds. Why is the corona hotter than the surface? Why is there a solar wind? These mm. are fundamental questions about our star, the sun, and I guess all stars. Yeah, well, you can take the learnings from this and then apply it to what we've um, seen in the other galaxies and then see, well, does that star allow for life on the, the planets which are in the Goldilocks zone based on you know what we learned from our star? Yeah. That's right, yeah. And that, that shield you were asking me about how they can protect it, well, it's a nearly a 12-centimetre thick carbon composite shield which is required to withstand those outside temperatures. 
So this is the first time apparently that uh, that a, a NASA spacecraft has been named after a living scientist. Mm-hmm. So the Galileo probe, obviously named after a, a Renaissance astronomer in Italy from hundreds of years ago. This particular probe, the Parker Solar Probe, is being named after a very distinguished... Eugene uh, Parker. Eugene Parker, distinguished scientist. He was... Distinguished Service Professor Emeritus at the Department of Astronomy and Astrophysics at the University of Chicago. In the 1950s, Parker proposed a number of concepts about how stars, including our sun, give off energy. He called this cascade of energy the solar wind, and he described an entire complex system of plasmas, magnetic fields, and energetic particles that make up this phenomenon. So he's being honoured. He's still alive. He'd be an old man by now, but he is being honoured with this probe being named after him. So that's a bit of a first for someone who's still alive to have a probe named after them. And just a little bit about the instruments on board. There are four major investigations being carried out by the Parker Solar Probe. One is a fields experiment. This will make direct measurements of electric and magnetic fields and waves and absolute plasma density and electron temperature, spacecraft floating potential and density fluctuations and radio emissions. That's one of the four main instruments on board. Another is the Integrated Science Investigation of the Sun, ISR. OIS. This investigation makes observations of energetic electrons, protons and heavy ions that are accelerated to high energies in the sun's atmosphere and inner heliosphere and correlates them with solar, wind and coronal structures. Another is the Wide Field Imager for the Solar Probe, or WISPA, as it's been acronymed. These telescopes will take images of the solar corona and inner heliosphere. The experiment will also provide images of the solar wind, shocks, and other structures as they approach and pass the spacecraft. This investigation complements the other instruments on the spacecraft, providing direct measurements by imaging the plasma the other instruments sample. And finally, the solar wind electrons, alphas and protons investigation known as SWEEP. This will count the most abundant particles in the solar wind, electrons, protons and helium ions, and measure their properties such as velocity, density and temperature. Have a look at this website for yourself, parkersolarprobe.jhuapl.edu. It's got lots of information about this really interesting and intriguing mission to study the closest star that we know of, and that is our own sun. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.